Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and today we are in our second week of our series called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Enjoy this message from Dave Carr, the Central Campus Pastor. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. My name is Dave, and I am the student pastor right here at this campus, and um, it's cool for me to get to watch, like, last night we were doing the same thing with a bunch of freshmen through seniors in high school, and tonight to get to do this with y'all is really exciting for me. Uh, I'm 26, and so I'm like uniquely paying attention to what's happening in C12 on a regular basis, mostly because um, like y'all are my people. Like we're in this together. For some of you, you're you're like in your 20s, and we're basically the same age or in the same stage of life. Um, so I get it. Like it's being in your 20s is harder than they said, right? Like it's. I always thought it would be like more fun, like how they portray in like every TV show when you were growing up, and then you realize like 20 year olds are really broke and you don't know anything. Like, you, you thought that you would know more, and you don't. And um, I, I don't. I wish I knew more. But I'm excited to be in the room uh, because we're in this together. I understand what you're walking through. Like, I'm walking through it, too. I understand the questions you're asking. I'm asking them, too. And I, I love the impact that this room is making in the middle of the, the time of life that you're in. And I hope you guys know, like, don't, don't discount what I'm about to say. You guys are making an impact outside of this room in our church. Like for some of you, Grace and Joy, where are you at? Some of you pastor my middle and high school students like Grace and Joy on a regular basis. And maybe you don't do it at this campus, but you do it at a different campus. Don't discount the impact that, that has. Where's DJ at? DJ. Some of you, yeah, DJ is awesome. Some of you are like DJ. And whether it's at C12 or it's a Sunday morning, you stand outside and you greet people and you're the first face that they see when they walk on this campus and they decide in the first two minutes that they're here whether or not they're coming back based on how they interact with you. And DJ, there's people who are in this church who have made this place home because of their interaction with you. That, that's impact. Like this room, this is way bigger than a Thursday night. You're doing way more than just attending a service on a Thursday night. You're making an impact and you're building God's church. And let me just stop and give honor to our honors due. That's in no small part because of who your leader is. And you guys, you guys know that you have an amazing pastor and Pastor Alex, right? Like, let's just take a second. You guys have a special human being as your pastor and Pastor Alex. And, and he's like, we all know, I mean, he's got obviously great fashion sense, you know, just absolutely amazing. Like, he's, he's a really genuine human being. You guys experienced this about Alex? Like, just the, one of the kindest, most genuine people I've ever met. But there's this trait about him, and maybe you've noticed it, but I think it gets overlooked a lot. But I think it's a really special quality in a human being and it's his presence. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Like, when you're in a conversation with Alex, do you ever wonder where Alex is at? Like, he's all in on the conversation that's right in front of him, isn't he? Like, when, when you're talking to Alex, you feel like you're the only person on the planet. It's, a, it's a, like a super attractive quality in a human, and, and I'm telling you what, as like, to have that in your pastor is a really, really big deal. But I think it's unfortunate that we, um, like that we pay attention as much as we do to the reality that he's so present to the moment. Because I think, like, honest truth, I think there's a lot of people, especially in our age group, where they're not very present. You know what I mean? Remember, you can talk back to me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, just making sure, just making sure. It's hard to, like, find presence when it comes to people who are in like our age and stage of life. And presence is honestly really difficult because I think like pace is fast and pressure is high. 
Pace is fast because like, that's just the speed that our world moves at. Like, just take a second. We are the least busy that we will ever be. Everyone in this room, like we don't have kids yet, probably. You might not be married yet, maybe you are. But like, we're the least busy that we're ever gonna be. And let me just ask, like, is anyone looking for like free time to give away right now? Are you like hoping to find things to fill your calendar? Are you like, oh my gosh, I really hope they cancel on dinner tonight because I don't wanna go and I can't pay for it anyway. You know what I mean? Like, Pace is fast. Like most of us aren't looking for more time to add to our calendar. Most of us are looking for like, I hope things cancel in my calendar. I hope that there's room that gets made for me. I just spit a lot. I'm so sorry, front row. You're in the splash zone. I'm sorry. Pace is really fast. And that's just the speed that our culture moves at. And it's really hard to be present to the moment that you're in when you're just like beat bopping around, bouncing from one thing to the next, right back to back to back, right? Pace is fast, but pressure is also high. And I think that pressure is high uniquely for those of us in our 20s, or, or maybe you just graduated high school. But I think pressure is particularly high for us because everything at this stage in life feels really crucial. Like everything that you're doing right now feels like it's setting you up for something later. So, so maybe you're, who's on their way to their degree right now? Like who's in school? For those of you in school, all you're doing right now is like setting you up for later, right? Or at least it feels that way. So you're in school, you're trying to get the grade, you're trying to make the class, you're trying to get the degree so that you can ultimately get the job that'll lead you to the life that you want, that'll lead you to the paycheck that you like. Like everything you're doing in school is prepping you for something later. Or maybe you're in your first job, or maybe you're out of college and you're not even in your career path, you're just in a job that you're just working to make ends meet. And the pressure is high because it's like, man, if I'm in my first job, if I already started my career, I'm trying to like climb the ladder, I'm trying to set myself up for later so that I can hopefully get to where I want to in my career. Maybe you're in an in-between job where it's like, I'm not even on my career path, I'm just like spending time somewhere so I can get paid and make ends meet. But it's difficult because you're working toward, like, I'm trying to set myself up so that I can jump into that job that I wanna get so that I can start my career. Like, I don't have to spell it out for you anymore. Pace is fast and pressure is really high and that makes presence to the moment really, really difficult. And here's what I wanna talk about tonight. There's a temptation in the season of life that we're all in to overlook what God is doing now. Living a life that has a fast pace and a high pressure can make you undervalue what's happening right now. And I wanna spend some time talking about that because look at me, I think God has more for you now than you think. I'm not talking about later. I'm not talking about when you get the degree. I'm not talking about when you get married or when you have kids. What I'm, I'm talking about right now, there's more for you that God has for you than you think. And that's just not like, that's not just like my best idea. It's not like my, my philosophy on life. I think that like there's a lot of basis for this in scripture. And there's a specific story in John chapter 11 that we're gonna camp out in for the rest of the night. John 11 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And um, so if you got your Bible, you got your phone or whatever, like you can go ahead and turn there. We're gonna throw it on the screen. But before we get there, um, we're in this series called God With Us, right? And last week, Matt talked about unmet expectations. Super good, by the way. Like Matt killed it. But this, this title of this series, God With Us, I think implies a question. Because obviously, it's great. Like, God's with us. Awesome. That's amazing. My question is, where? Where is God with us? You ever thought about that? Like, where is God with us? 
And last week I was trying to like get to the bottom of my own question that I was going to ask the room, but I didn't have an answer for myself. And for whatever reason, I started thinking about this book I read a couple years ago called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody read that before? It's like, if you never read the book, I would highly recommend it. It's written by the philosopher and the theologian, C.S. Lewis. He's amazing. And the premise of the book is kind of weird, but it's this. Uh, there's this demon named Screwtape who's writing letters to his nephew named Wormwood. And in each of the letters, Screwtape is trying to train and teach his nephew on how to make sure that the human that he's been assigned to goes to hell at the end of his life. Like their whole goal is to make sure that they can get another recruit to hell. And there's this one letter in particular that's actually pretty famous on its own outside of the book that I think uniquely speaks to the question of where is God with us? Check this out. It says, the humans live in time, but our enemy, and, and this is really weird part about the book, they call the enemy God, but God's actually, you know what I mean. Every time he says the enemy, he's talking about God. Our enemy, which is actually God, destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend to chiefly two things, to eternity itself and to that point in time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. And our business as demons is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this view, we sometimes tempt a human to live in the past, but it's far better to make them live in the future. It's unknown to them. So that in making them think about what we make them think about, it makes them think about unrealities. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every gift which is offered them in the present. Translation, you have an enemy who wants you to believe that God is with you anywhere but now. You and I have an enemy that wants you to believe that God is with you anywhere but now. And here's the sad part. It's working. True? I mean, it's, it's working. It's working every time you go through a day and, and it's like, what even happened since I woke up? It's true when you get to the end of a long week and, and you go to whatever your narcotic of choice is, whether it's a binge on Netflix or a drink or a drug or a person, like, so that you don't have to feel whatever it is that you brought with you throughout the week that you didn't have a chance to feel along the way. It's working. It's working every time you check your phone when you're at dinner with another human being. It's working. And it's been working for a long time, not just on us. It was working even when Jesus was walking around. And this is where John 11 comes into play. So at this point in Jesus' story, Jesus has pretty well established himself. We're going to look at John 11, but two chapters before John 11, Jesus literally gave sight to a man who was born blind. <laughs> there was a guy who couldn't see for his entire life, and Jesus steps into the room, and all of a sudden, he can do something he'd never been able to do before. And then in John chapter 6, there's this story about um, Jesus was being followed by this crowd, and he starts to give this teaching, and he takes five loaves of bread and two fish, which is not enough food for anybody, maybe a middle schooler, and he feeds 5,000 people with it. And if that wasn't enough, on the same day that he fed the 5,000 people with the five loaves and the two fish, that night his disciples were on a boat and he walks on water. And not only did he walk on water, but he made one of his disciples walk on water. And 
like where Jesus lived was not a big place. It's a pretty small, like a small area. People started to hear about what was going on with Jesus. So when he's performing all these miracles as he's kind of like on tour through the country with his disciples, people start to understand, like when Jesus shows up, there's a power and a possibility that's different when he's not here. And as they're going through the nation of Israel, they're, they're coming into Jerusalem, they get interrupted by a couple of friends of Jesus named Mary and Martha. And here's what John says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And the story already makes no sense. It actually reminds me a lot of last week when Matt talked about the unrealistic or unmet expectations. You would think that if John just said twice in seven verses that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus and the family as a whole, that when they send word and say, hey, Lord, the one you love is sick and Jesus says, okay, I love them. The next line says he runs to Bethany as fast as possible and he heals Lazarus from his sickness and everything's good, right? That's what Jesus is supposed to do but he doesn't. Instead, he waits. He does nothing for two more days. He doesn't wait. For, he doesn't like dilly-dally and take his time. Like he specifically doesn't do anything. And then two days later, he and his crew pack up and they finally decide to go to Bethany. And by the time they get into town, his friend has been dead for four days. Jesus didn't do what he was supposed to. And Martha finally gets word, like, it's about time that Jesus has shown up onto the scene. And she meets him outside town, and John says this. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Pay really close attention to Martha over the next couple of verses. Because I think you can relate to Martha more than you might think. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now it's subtle, but don't miss what just happened here. Jesus has shown up on the scene. Miracle worker. He took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. He made someone else walk on water. He made a blind man able to see. Like when Jesus shows up to Bethany, it doesn't matter what's happened with Lazarus. The power and the possibilities of heaven just showed up with them, right? Martha's no stranger to this. Jesus loved her. He had relationship with her and Lazarus and Mary. They know good enough. They know enough about Jesus to know what is at stake when Jesus steps into the room. Jesus just stepped into Bethany and brought all of the power and the possibility of heaven with him, and Martha can't see it. She begins by living in the past. She says, Lord, if, if you would have been here, 
man, if only things back then would have been different, Jesus. If only you would have done what you were supposed to do, Jesus. If only this hadn't happened, Jesus. And go back to the screw tape letters. I mean, this is, this is a way that the enemy takes some of us out. And some of us know this all too well. Because here's the thing about living in your 20s. You got a lot, hopefully, you got a lot of life left ahead of you. But you've lived just long enough to have a history. And some of you have a history that you don't like. And for whatever reason, just like Martha, you can relate. You, Jesus showed up, and you can't see it for what it's worth because you're stuck living in the past. Oh, man. Jesus, if, if I hadn't gone to that party, if I'd have just gotten out of that relationship, if I'd have just been born into a better family, if I'd have just, if I'd have just cared about my future a little bit more back then, if only, Jesus... Man, what could be possible if only Jesus? But you're missing what God is doing now. When Jesus steps in the room, all of the power and all of the possibility of heaven come with him. And you're going to have to get past your past if you want to live in the present. And this, guys, this is tripping some of us up. You think that for whatever reason, because of what happened or what didn't happen back then, God won't use you, God won't develop you, God doesn't want you, God won't love you, God can't form you, you can't grow, you can't, grow, you can't get better, you can't change. Like, for whatever reason, you're writing off what's possible right now because of what happened or didn't happen then. And you're missing it. You're missing it. Some of us, some of us are struggling to live in the present and be present to what God wants to do now because we can't get past the past. Martha did. Martha did. But others of us relate a whole lot more to what Martha said in verse 24. Jesus is looking in her eyes. Imagine this. Jesus is looking in her eyes. God in human form is looking his friend in the eyes. And he says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And she, again, she can't see it. God told, God in human form just told her, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. And she can't see it for what it's worth. But this time, she goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. She's not living in the past. Now she goes all the way to the future. She misses the present. And she said, oh, Lord, I know, I know. I trust that there's going to be a day when you come back and you're going to make this right. She missed what Jesus wanted to do now. Jesus was ready to do something now. And she was ready to press pause on now and just wait till whatever the day was that he'd come back and make it right. And for some of you, you can relate to Martha in this scenario. Because you're missing what's going on right now because all you're doing is prepping for what's coming later. You're beginning to believe the lie that God is with you anywhere but now. So he must be there later when I get the job when I finish the degree, when I get married, when I have kids, when I'm healthier, when I'm less busy, when I get more experience. Like, when that happens, then Jesus will show up for me. Then it's time for Jesus to start using me. Then it's time for Jesus to start doing things in my life. And I'm telling you, just like Martha, it'd be so easy. It's so easy. We do it all the time. It's so easy 
to have Jesus looking you in the eye and say, I want to do this in your life, and you miss it because you can't see it for what it is because you're too busy living in what's coming. And you guys, God wants to do more in you now than you think. God wants to do more in you now than you think. See, we can all relate to Martha. And whether you relate because you really struggle not getting past your past, or whether you relate because you totally discount what's happening right now in the name of the future, all of us can relate to Martha, but look at me. We're trying to model Jesus. We can relate to Martha, but we're trying to be like Jesus. And in the story, the biggest difference outside of sin, from what I can tell between Martha and Jesus, is the way they saw the present. And if you and I can relate to Martha, then maybe, maybe the biggest difference outside of sin between us and Jesus is the way that we see what's happening right now. Look at what Jesus said to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now skip down later in the story. Jesus was still angry that all this had happened to Lazarus as he had arrived at the tomb and a cave with a stone was rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. If the story would have gone the way that Martha thought it would after Lazarus had died, she would have spent the rest of her life mourning what had happened in the past and looking ahead to the day that Jesus would come back and make it all right. And she would have totally missed what God wanted to do right now. But thank God that he had a bigger view in mind for what he wanted to do right now than she did. Jesus was ready to do something. He showed up on the scene and he brought all the power and the possibility of heaven with him. And Martha was believing the lie that God was with her anywhere but now, but Jesus was modeling for her the truth that God was with her now. God was with her now. And look at me. God is with you now. If we relate to Martha, then the same thing that was true for Martha is true for us. God is with you now. And because of that, when Jesus shows up on the scene for you, all of the power and the possibility of heaven come with him. We don't have to wait until the day that he comes back and makes it all right. There will be that day, but there's more work to be done now. God has way bigger ideas for you than what you have for you right now. And you're gonna have to learn how to see the present the way that Jesus sees it in order for that to be true. Now, I love this story. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because it's, it's one of those beautiful passages of scripture because of its honesty. Martha was in pain. When Jesus showed up, things weren't okay. She'd lost her brother. She had a broken heart because of what Jesus didn't do for her that she thought he would have. This is a painful story. 
But Jesus showed up in the midst of her pain. And he brought all the power and the possibility of heaven with him. But if you and I can relate to Martha, what's probably true is that we got pain that we're walking through too. Maybe, maybe the degree's been more of a grind than you thought. Maybe you've, you've been cramming four years into five or five years into six. And I don't say that to make light. Like, maybe there's been some things that have happened. Life's gone on. It's, it, you're not on the up and to the right trajectory that you thought you were going to be at. The degree's been a struggle. And maybe the job is not what you thought or not what you want. Maybe you're just trying to make ends meet, but you know this is a dead-end job. I'm not, I wasn't made for this. Maybe you're in your first job, and, and it's just not what you thought it would be. This, this is the career path that I felt like I chose, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know if this is it. And maybe, maybe you're starting a relationship, and it's harder than you thought. There's more history and baggage to deal with than you thought there would be. And it's not just with them. Maybe you're recently married and marriage isn't as smooth as you thought it would be. Maybe things at home aren't great and the holidays kind of prove that. Honestly, maybe, um, maybe it's hard to find community right now because everyone keeps leaving. And here's one that I don't think we talk about a lot in this age group, but Maybe everyone else is getting their big break and you're not. Maybe the, the prayers that everyone around you has been praying have been, been answered, but yours haven't. And you just, you watch people step into what God made them to do and you're not in that yet. All of us can relate to Martha because all of us have a, a measure of pain that we're walking through at some level when Jesus shows up. And it's easy when you're walking through pain to discount what God wants to do right now. That's my story. That's my story. It was, um, it was April 17th, 2019, when my mom called me and told me that my dad had committed suicide. And it was obviously shocking, but it was a culmination of a lot of things that had been going on the couple months leading up to it. In February of that year, my parents had filed for divorce after 30 years. And after the divorce, my dad moved out to try and start over. And in the months following, as he got lonelier and more hopeless, he started to call me multiple times a day. He started having trouble making decisions. He started asking me what to do with his finances. I didn't have finances of my own. I don't know how to deal with your finances. And he began to spiral. And the more calls that I got, the more that I prayed. See, at the time, I was, um, I'd been married for a year and a half. 17 days before he died, I was uh, hired at this church. So I was starting a new job. Didn't know what the heck I was doing. Still don't sometimes. And the more that I watched him spiral and the more that he called, the more that I just began to pray. And it was, it was my own version of saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
I asked that God would protect him. I asked that God would bring him friends. I asked that God would maybe even restore his relationship to my mom. I asked that God would provide him a job after he got fired from his. I asked God to renew his mind, to give him confidence, to help him learn how to think. But on April 17th, none of those prayers got answered. And like Martha, I was so beside myself that God would let that happen. And that God would let that happen in a way that I specifically asked that he wouldn't. I couldn't believe it. And like Martha, I started to think through the if-only kind of thinking, you know? Like, God, I'm, I'm trying to be a husband to my wife. And I feel like I could be doing a lot better at it if only you wouldn't have let me go through this. I feel like I'd be a lot better at home if only I didn't feel like my wife was having to carry me right now because I can't make it through a day without breaking down and crying. I was a new pastor. I was trying to, I was trying to learn how to pastor people and run a ministry. God, I, I feel like I could do a lot better at this if only you hadn't let that happen. It'd be a lot easier for me to pastor people through their pain if only I wasn't walking through so much myself. If only, if only. God, if only. And then in the months following that, my thinking began to shift. And it was less um, if only thinking, and it just began to move more toward the other way that Martha started to think. And I, I'm looking forward to the day I get to see my dad again. Jesus, I'm looking forward to the day that you're going to come back and you're going to make this right, because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But I was missing what God wanted to do now. I was missing what God wanted to do now. And there was a day, I remember, I, I went through a lot of counseling. And there was a day I was sitting in the counselor's office and I was talking about the if only thinking that I, in, the middle, in the middle of talking I began to switch to, you know, I know there's a day coming and Jesus will make this right one day. And I'll never forget it. My counselor looked at me and he said, Dave, where's God's kindness to you in all of this right now? And I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't want to hear that. Took me a couple minutes to be able to actually hear that question. What do you mean, where's God's kindness to me right now? Nowhere. Anywhere but here. His kindness was with me in the past, and his kindness will be with me one day, but right now it's not here. And after I like came to and I could finally hear the question, what I realized my counselor was doing was he was bringing me back to the present. I was missing what God wanted to do right now. And what God wanted to do right then was he began to heal me. He began to reveal things that were in me, not in spite of my pain, but through it. He began to make his presence more known to me, not in spite of the pain, but because of it. 
he began to grow a different kind of dependence in me, not because I was put together and because I was pain-free, but because of the pain that I was walking through. I couldn't carry it anymore. And here's the crazy part. It changed the way I was acting as a husband. It changed the way I was pastoring my kids. It changed the way I worshiped. Not because I was pain-free. It wasn't in spite of the pain, it was because of it. There was things that God wanted to do now. And here's what was crazy. In my own pain and brokenness, he started using me. He started using the story. He started using the pain. And now I started to connect with other people who were going through pain of their own. And I just began to talk to them about what Jesus had been talking to me. And it began to help them through their pain. It wasn't because I was pain-free. It was because of it. God had things in mind now that I never thought he would have done. And what I have picked it, absolutely not. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But look, if I'd had my way, if the story would have played out the way that I thought from the moment that my dad died, I would have spent the rest of my life, happened when I was 24, I would have spent the rest of my life mourning what had happened in the past and looking ahead to a day that hadn't come yet for when Jesus would make all this right and I would have missed however many nows I would have had between 20, 24 and when I would have died. But thank God. Thank God that he had a bigger view for what he wanted to do right now than I did. Thank God that he wasn't willing to just let me miss all of the nows that he had planned for me from 24 on. Thank God that he had a bigger view in mind for my life than I did. And thank God that it wasn't because I didn't have pain in my life. Thank God that it was because he was using the pain that I was going through to do something in me now. God was with me, and because of that, all of the power and all of the possibilities of heaven were with me now. And maybe you need to hear that God is with you now. Whatever the pain is that you're walking through, whatever the brokenness is, whatever the mess is, God is with you now. Go back to the story in John 11. You know the only time that Martha actually like lives in the present is when she says, Lord, it's gonna be smelly in that tomb. And maybe for you, the only time that you live in the present is for you to acknowledge for just a second how smelly your present is. God, this stinks. You don't want this. You don't wanna touch that. This is messy. This is broken. Just keep the stone over the tomb. You don't wanna go behind there. You don't wanna turn that rock over. But Jesus wasn't afraid of what was behind the stone. Jesus wasn't afraid of the mess. And look, Jesus is not afraid of your mess, even if you are. He wants to use your mess. He's got a bigger view of your mess than you do. And because God is with you now and all the power and the possibility of heaven come with Jesus when he steps into the room, you can be present now. You don't have to live in what happened then. And you don't have to perpetually just try to get through what's happening now. You can look and see what God is doing now. But it will require something of you. Because we can all relate to Martha. But we're trying to be like Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we got to begin to see the present the way that Jesus sees the present. And so the million dollar question, band's going to start loading. The million dollar question 
is how do I begin to see the present the way that Jesus does? And the answer to that question, I think, comes in the form of two practices of Jesus. Let me give you a word on each. The two practices are silence and solitude. And in silence, when we hear the word silence, we tend to shrink silence down to just mean a lack of noise. And silence is a rare commodity in our world. So we don't have a very good relationship with it. But the temptation when you hear silence is to just shrink it to a lack of noise. But I'm learning that silence is actually more about a state of being than it is about what you're doing or not doing. There's this beautiful book written by this guy named Robert Mulholland called Invitation to a Journey. You should read it. It's changed my life. But in the book, he begins to talk about silence and he defines it like this. Silence is a deep inner reversal of that grasping, controlling mode of being that so characterizes life in our culture. The practice of silence is bringing ourselves to a point of relinquishing to God our control of our relationship with God. Silence is an interactive letting go. And I don't know about you, I can only speak for me, but I am so guilty of trying to be in control of my relationship with God. I am, I am so guilty of having this idea of where I ought to be in life, where I ought to be in faith. Silence is a practice of, of releasing that, but, but when I don't release that, then when I face opposition, when I face adversity, when I face suffering, honestly, when I face just plain disappointment, my world begins to unravel because I start to think that something's wrong. Like I'm behind schedule. Like I veered off the path that God had for me. And then I start to live out of insecurity and I begin to try and get back to where I think I'm supposed to be. But I think that Jesus is inviting us into a different way that he modeled. And silence is the way that we get there where we can release control of our timeline, where we can release control of our expectations, where we can release control of our need to get anywhere with God. And we can simply be with him, trusting that he's gonna do in us what he wants when he wants to do it. Silence helps us practice releasing control. And ultimately that helps us be present to the moment because we're not spending all of our time and our energy trying to get to a moment we feel like we're supposed to be in. God is with you and you can be present in the moment that you're in right now. Now, when you hear solitude, the temptation is to shrink it to simply mean a lack of company. But I'm learning that solitude is less about what you're going away from and more about what you're going toward. Robert Mulholland describes solitude like this. Solitude in the silence of release is beginning to face the deep inner dynamics of our being that make us that grasping, controlling, manipulative person, beginning to face our brokenness, our distortion, our darkness, and beginning to offer ourselves to God at those points. If silence is about letting control of our relationship with God go, solitude is about having the courage to admit where you're at. I mentioned earlier that I've often got an idea of like where I feel like I'm supposed to be, you know? And anybody else with me on that? There's so many times that I feel like I'm behind schedule. I've got this idea a lot of times of where I'm supposed to be, but I've also got this, this idea of who I'm supposed to be when I'm there, you know? 
I've got this idea of how I should look, how much I should know, how prepared I should feel. And man, it robs me from being present because I hide behind this veneer of who I think God wants me to be for him rather than just being who he's made me to be now. What solitude does is it removes the mask. It removes the mask so that I can hold who I think I'm supposed to be for God before him and in his kindness, he can actually show me who I am and in turn who he is for me. Solitude helps me be present because I can remove the mask and be who I actually am. I'm not hiding. These are two regular practices of Jesus that I think are formative and could be shaping to your life and giving you ability to live in the present. And it's important for us to recognize that these are practices. And the thing about practice is, I love, Chris Morgan says this about prayer. I think it's so true. Prayer isn't powerful when we talk about prayer. Prayer is powerful when we pray. And I think the same is true of silence and solitude or whatever spiritual practice that you're thinking. Practices aren't powerful when we talk about them. They're powerful when we practice them. So let's practice. And the way that we're going to do that is how I practice. And hear me say, I am not the model Jesus is. I'm going to say it again. I'm not the model Jesus is. But I do think that it's helpful, especially when you're trying something new, to have a picture of what it's like, to have someone to help walk you through what it, what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like, so that you can try it for yourself and then you can begin to form and shape this to fit how God's wired you. So let's practice some silence and some solitude right now for the next couple minutes. I'll walk you through it. But it begins by just getting comfortable in your seat. If you need to shift, shift. If you need to go find a spot along the wall, find a spot along the wall. If you want to sit in front of the stage, if you want to come sit up here with me, fine, whatever. Do what you need to do. But just get comfortable in your chair. And when I start times like this in the morning, I begin by just setting a timer on my phone. And how much time you put on there is arbitrary. Just set enough time for you to be able to get quiet externally and then for you to be able to get quiet internally. And you'll know you're quiet internally when all the thoughts that start coming up in your head as you're sitting in silence begin to fade away and there's just nothing. Just take a second, get comfortable just begin to be with God. Take a deep breath. The goal of our silence is to release control of our need to get anywhere or to do anything with him. And to learn how to simply be with him. So right now, you just take a minute. Just be with God. I know I didn't just give you enough time. 
but that's the point. I don't want this to be exhaustive. I just want it to be enough to give you a taste of what this was like. But did you feel it? Did you feel how hard it is to be silent at first? How your mind starts racing? How things inside of you begin to boil to the surface? It's okay, it's part of it. Now my time in the morning when the timer goes off, this is when I begin to journal. And I know that not everyone is a journaler, but for me, especially as we move into practicing solitude, the point is to get really honest with God. And I just know I'm gonna be more honest on paper than I will be in my head. The person that I lie to the most is myself. And it's way harder for me to do that when I'm writing something down than when I'm just thinking thoughts. So for you, even if you're a journal or not, pull out your phone. If you've got a journal with you, get that in front of you. Get comfortable in your chair. And we're gonna begin to answer a question by just writing down your answer. What do I need? What do I need? And you just take a second right now and begin to write down what it is you need. And resist the temptation as you do to try to clean it up, try to fix it. Really to do anything with it except for just sit with it with God. So you just take a second right now. What is it that you need? It's just supposed to give you a taste. It's supposed to give you an idea that when you wake up tomorrow, you have a tool in your tool belt that you can begin to practice on your own. That you can begin to incorporate in your own version of what time with Jesus looks like for you. What I hope you see is that God is with you now. And because of that, all of the power and the possibility of heaven come with it. And the truth is God is with us now, not just with you personally, but with us in the room. The king is in the room. And because of that, all of the power and the possibility of heaven are in the room with us right now. And so I think it's appropriate, especially as we just spent time with Jesus, it's appropriate to respond. And when royalty's in the room, the way that you respond is you give honor and you give glory that's due to them. And so I invite you to just stand to your feet. We're gonna have a moment together where we respond because the king is in the room. And I'm gonna encourage you as we do, the band's gonna lead us through it. As you respond, respond 
with the expectation that God wants to do things with you now. That God wants to, to heal you in ways that maybe you haven't considered right now. That maybe God wants to bring breakthrough in ways that you haven't thought were possible right now. That God wants to have you walk out different than the way that you came in right now. Respond like you believe that because Jesus is in the room, all of the power and the possibility of heaven are with you right now. So let's worship well. Thank you for listening to the Seats Well podcast today. Take some time to be truly present with God and reflect on being present in every part of your life. To stay connected with Seats Well, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12Stone. Hope to have you join us for our Christmas Eve service. To find out more, go to christmas at 12stone.com. Link in the description. See you next week.